Hey there, it's Scary Parish. It's Wednesday, May 10th. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and it's kind of a slow time for college basketball, although there are coaches who are still waiting on decisions from key players. Matt Painter waiting to find out for sure what Caleb Swanigan's going to do. Mike Krzyzewski waiting to find out for sure what Frank Jackson's going to do. Rick Pitino waiting on Ding Adele. And then John Calipari, of course, waiting on Hamadou Diallo, which is a, a fascinating process because this is a young man who had previously either stated or at least suggested he was not going to be in the 2017 NBA draft. He was going to play the 2017-18 season at Kentucky, even though it's long been clear that he would be eligible for the draft. Then, of course, he declared, and now he seems to be on the fence. First things first, you think Diallo stays in the draft or, or goes back to Kentucky? If I had to pick right now, I would say stays. Yeah. You because, agree? Yes, because I think what he's going to find out is that he's a first-round pick. Like, he's going to go in the 20s somewhere. I think, at worst, nothing's guaranteed, but he is probably going to be the best athlete available in this draft, as crazy as that sounds. And for people who haven't seen him, just, like, go to YouTube. He is a top-shelf athlete. And there's nothing more important in the NBA than athleticism. You know, I, I live in Memphis, where the Grizzlies play, and it seems like for a decade now... Every time you talk to the coach, whoever the coach is, the general manager, front office, anybody, they're always talking about, we've got to get more athletic. We've got to get more athletic. Athleticism is, is the most important thing at the next level. And when you've got an 18-year-old who's that kind of athlete, somebody's going to take him in the 20s, wouldn't you think? I think so. How, you know, you're right. He is uh, he's absolutely in the conversation to be the very best athlete that's available in this draft. He is... A really good defender. Um, I think his game needs some more maturing. His handle isn't great. His shot is a little inconsistent. And this is just, I mean, this is primarily based off of me having watched him at, at the grassroots basketball travel level slash, you know, AAU. Um, so certainly he's probably gotten even better uh, in spending the, the past semester at Kentucky and uh, training there. He He's probably too tempting of a prospect not to take him i do wonder if he gets certain kind of feedback that says you know your athleticism is great um you you're not near the ball handler um or long-range shooter that we would like you to be if you go to college develop this you're a guaranteed top 10 pick and here's the difference between getting picked 24 this year or number seven next year if he gets those figures put in front of his face and he's already been at Kentucky and he knows Calipari well and he knows the guys coming in and he knows Kentucky should be pretty good again and he'll get that kind of exposure, he'll get immediate playing time. Um, he, you know, Consider the fact that he hasn't really played you know, organized, legitimate basketball in a while. He's probably itching to do that. Um, and he'll know he'll get more at Kentucky. Maybe those are factors that lead him to return. I would lean toward he stays in, but there's enough there that I think he actually has a really interesting decision ahead of him. Yeah, and there, you know, to be clear, there's no wrong decision here. Like, you know, you can stay in the draft, be picked in the 20s, you're a multimillionaire, you're on with your professional career, or go back to Kentucky and unless you're just completely exposed, which I don't think he'll he'll be, um, guards aren't, you know, uh, uh, super talented elite level guards aren't usually exposed in college to the extent that it happens, the um the, the transition from high school to college, it seems to be tougher for big guys 
than it is for for super athletic guards like Hamadou Diallo. So I don't think he'd be exposed. And you're right. You come back next year in a, in a weaker draft, um, and you could be the, the, the ninth pick in the draft or the sixth pick in the draft, whatever. So, like, either way, I think he's, you know, I'd trade my next two years for Hamadou Diallo's next two years, I guess, uh-huh. is, is the point I'm making. Um, but uh, whether he comes back to Kentucky or not, uh, the Wildcats are going to be facing an – interesting situation unlike frankly anything John Calipari has ever had to deal with he has forever relied on freshmen uh, to go to final fours to win a national championship to win SEC titles uh, so on and so forth he's never going he's never had to rely on freshmen whether Diallo comes back or not as much as he's had to as much as he's going to have to rely on him next season where are you at on Kentucky as a team because on one hand I go it's the number one recruiting class in America, uh, even before Kevin Knox committed, uh, and, uh, but especially so now. So they're super talented, as talented as anybody else in the country. On the other hand, and I documented this back during the season, John Calipari's teams that are heavily reliant on freshmen uh, are not his best teams. They can still be good, but they often ha- have some ups and downs throughout the season. This team that he just had was a, a good example of that it's why i wrote that column do you trust kentucky preseason top five team preseason top 10 team where would you put them preseason top 10 team yep i am i think i've come to a personal philosophical conclusion that unless you have two proven veteran players that will earn significant minutes be it a starter and then a prominent six man unless you have something like that um, I will not put you as like a top two team, a top three team in a preseason ranking because we really, the only instance in which an exceptionally strong recruiting class, um, I get this, this isn't even, this doesn't even apply actually because you had Kentucky win it in 2012 and you had Duke win it in 2015. They had strong recruiting classes, but there were also older players yep. there. We don't have an example of a team that is so, freshmen and even if you want to include sophomores it still doesn't apply we don't have an example of any team ever being able to not just win a national championship but hold consistency as a top five team throughout a season so you look at Kentucky's roster and when they got Kevin Knox which was something of a surprise people were not they were thinking that it was going to be Duke or Carolina and not that Kentucky had no shot because as I wrote like Never count out John Calipari if Kentucky is in the final grouping of any school with any prospect, ever. Never count him out, ever. And Knox, having said that, GP, Knox was as surprising of a five-star commit as Kentucky could ever have because there basically was – it was like house money. There was no expectation that he was going to necessarily going to commit. They get him anyway. And so you look at the class that surrounds him, Quade Green and Nick Richards and uh, P.J. Washington, Jared Vanderbilt – They've got a lot coming in, and it's a really fun-looking group. But it's easy in May and June and July to look at these players, having seen them in person, knowing how good they were on that circuit. But it it simply does not happen where you have all of that talent translate and enhance at the Division I level. It will not happen. So Kentucky is going to be a really, really good team. But because they're so void of veteran players – I would I would resist putting them in the top five. Now, could they prove us wrong? Sure, but history shows that no matter how strong the freshman recruiting class, you absolutely need guys that are older that have been productive. Not just older guys, not just like a guy that's you know averaged six minutes the past three years. No, you need guys that have produced. 
if you have that combination, that's where you really find some magic. Kentucky's only got one half of that equation. Well, you look at the 2012 team you mentioned. Everybody remembers Marcus Teague, Anthony Davis, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. What they don't remember is three of the top six scores were not freshmen. The 2015 Duke National Championship team. You know, everybody remembers Ja and uh, Justice Winslow. Um, but, like, you know, Quinn Cook was also on that team. Quinn they, Cook was so massive. I think yeah. Krzyzewski would even say that Cook was as valuable as any player on the team. That 100%. Year. And, like, that is the formula. Just having a whole bunch of first-year players, regardless of how talented they are, they, like you said, that's never led to a national championship. You've got to have um, not necessarily upperclassmen, but just not freshmen. It can even be sophomores. Uh, the 2015 Kentucky team that was awesome, like that was pro- the best team in the country that year. You would agree with that, right? Yes. Okay, like they didn't win the championship. They lose to Wisconsin Final Four. That was the best team in the country. Um, sure, they had Carl Anthony Towns and and uh, who were the other freshmen on that team? You had geez, you had Towns on that team. You had uh, Booker on that team. Yes. You had there was another really really solid freshman. Uh, Trey Lyles. Lyles, yeah, that that was it. Yeah, and the Harrisons. Yeah, Harrison's that, that's freshman. the thing. You had the Harrisons as sophomores, and you had Willie Colley Stein oh. as a junior. And you had Ulysses. That's who it was. And Tyler. I, yeah. was, I knew there was a guard that I was missing. That was because I was like the Harrisons. They had a battle with playing time. And it was Ulysses. Right, and but was, like even that team, like it wasn't all the best players on the best Kentucky teams are freshmen, typically. But they are surrounded by non-freshmen, and that is what makes them great. And so um, I'm with you. Top 10 team, but my guess is they would have some ups and downs, if only because every other roster that John's ever had that's relied so heavily on freshmen, not to this extreme, but like just to somewhat rely heavily on freshmen, has had ups and downs, including uh, this past year's team. Okay, how about this? Next season's Kentucky team, is it better than this past season's Kentucky team? Hmm. Well, this past season's Kentucky team, oh, man. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think so. I don't think so either. Uh, I, here's why I say it, because I honestly believe that Monk and Fox – were the best backcourt Calipari's had at Kentucky. Most talented. I won't say best. I'll say most talented. Um, and More talented than John Wall and Eric Bledsoe? Yes. Is that yes, based on... Is that, Wall is better than Fox. Monk is better than Bledsoe. And I think it's just barely better talented. I think Wall and Bledsoe were better. I would say Monk and Fox are slightly more talented. Are you suggesting that Devin Downey wouldn't be able to put 30 on Monk and Fox? Because remember, back in 2010, Kentucky, South Carolina, Wildcats were undefeated. They had to go in uh, to Columbia, South Carolina, and run into that Devin Downey train. He handed John Calipari his first loss of his Kentucky career. Shout out to Devin Downey. Shout out to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to the homie Terry Teagle. Absolutely. Um, this past year, the team had Briscoe, who was significantly better as a sophomore. Um, Bam played well, um, relatively well. Humphreys was reliable. And then, like, Derek Willis, you know, Kentucky fans love Derek Willis, and they're very aware of what he did. Um, I think, you know, outside of that, people might underrate how 
much Derek Willis meant as a senior contributor. Um, the Kentucky team this past year went 32-6. and six. I would definitely venture to say next year's Kentucky team will lose more than six games. But, GP, I'll tag it with this. This is, you know, John Calipari every single year, from a personal perspective, he obviously looks for challenges. He looks to break down barriers that haven't been broken before in college basketball. And so he will absolutely enter the season um, if they don't get uh, the transfer from Pitt, um, which I don't think uh, I think he might be head toward Arizona. I forget what the chatter is on him. Um, but if they don't get him, um, then Calipari, of course, would love would love to become the first coach to ever win a national championship with such a freshman laden roster. So it hasn't been done, probably won't be done, but he'll definitely accept that challenge and would love to just prove you know, the history of college basketball wrong by saying, okay, now I've done it. Now I've turned over my entire roster, have brought in <laughs> have brought in six, seven new dudes altogether. I lost a player. Let's say Diallo doesn't come back. I lost a player that I was even expecting to have. He got picked in the first round, and I still wound up doing this, this, and this. So he'll embrace that, and it will, you know, as always, Kentucky is fascinating for, broadly speaking, the same reasons on a year-to-year basis, but Within that, there's always different storylines as to why they're interesting, and next year we'll present a new kind of challenge. Uh, some actual college basketball news. Uh, Valpo has accepted an invitation to join the Missouri Valley Conference. They, of course, are replacing Wichita State. If you're running the Valley, did, did they get this right? Did they pick the right school? They did They did get it right. They picked the right school. Um, Valparaiso uh, was the best fit in terms of one. There are only a handful of mid-major programs that actually have name recognition, and if you want to use the word brand, that's fine. Uh, Valpo has that, partly because it's the name Valpo, because they have a memorable all-time NCAA tournament shot. Um, they make the tournament relatively consistently over the past two decades for a mid-major program. Um, it's not a replacement for Wichita State on the whole. Obviously, um, Valparaiso is not the kind of program that Wichita State is. The Valley over the past half decade has taken huge hits because they lose Creighton and they lose Wichita State. They replace those two teams with Loyola, Chicago, and Valparaiso. That is obviously a downgrade. That's undeniable. But replacing uh, Wichita State with Valpo is a much better job than replacing Creighton with Loyola, Chicago, which is, you know, it's in Chicago, and that's great. um, But the program just, you know, it, it was really good 60 years ago. So... Uh, you're still waiting for you know that program to come into relevance. A few quick notes here, GP, then I'll throw it back to you. Uh, one, Valpo was picked because of the recognition, because um, the powers that be with the Missouri Valley extremely uh, emphasize geography and location. The fact that the teams don't have to get on planes most of the time to play teams, and now with Wichita State out of the picture, Valpo is right there in Indiana. It's, it's close to Chicago, actually, but you can drive to Indiana State, Evansville, Bradley, and all this stuff. That means a lot for the because it's not a power conference like they're not bringing in millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. So you have to worry about the softball team and the volleyball team and the golf team. And, and these teams can travel by bus to all these other schools that has an impact on the bottom line. So they were chosen for that, for the branding. And it was by far the best in terms of fan support um, for not just basketball, but other things I'm told. Now, um, the coaches want to stay at 10. A lot of the athletic directors want to stay at 10. I had a conversation with Doug Elgin, the Missouri Valley Commissioner, on Tuesday. He told me that the motivation is is probably to stay at 10, but they're not closing the door yet. So over the next six to 10 months, the league presidents, who he described as very progressive, are still going to evaluate if they want to go to a 12-team model. 11 teams is not on the table, I was told. 
Um, but would a 12-team model better suit the Valley? What kind of teams would you get in there? The teams that lost out to Valpo this time were Murray State, Omaha, and Milwaukee. I was told that if they decided to go to 12 teams, they would basically start their search over from scratch. So those three teams would probably, those schools would be in the mix again. And they would still look at others as potential candidates, in my opinion, uh, you'd go with Milwaukee and Murray State no matter who else is on the table, almost definitely. I like the fact that the Valley has round robin. The coaches love the fact that it has round robin. They love the fact that their season gets done a week before Selection Sunday if you make the championship game. They like the break before the tournament. I think it best suits the Valley to have the best combination of teams and not potentially muddle down the league and uh, and have two more bottom feeders, so to speak. So I think that they should stay at 10. My guess is they do. But that's, you know, I can't say that with 90% certainty. I say it with 55% certainty. What are your thoughts? Um, obviously, uh, the Valley's gain is the Horizon League's loss. Um, that This probably, Valpo, was the Horizon League's premier basketball program. Now it's gone, so it's not good for the league. I wonder, though, if you're Greg Campy, is this good for you? Like, it's, it's not good for the league, but if you coach at Green Bay, if you coach at Detroit, if you coach at Northern Kentucky, if you coach at Oakland, are you, like, not that upset about this? Because in a one-bid league, uh, you get you get the most prominent program out of there. It opens up doors for you, right? I think that's a good point. I also like the way you said Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> did I, did I, it's, like, it's like the way you say Tulane instead of Tulane or Detroit. It's Detroit. Did I say uh, Detroit? I didn't recognize that. It's okay. It's it's that it's that Mississippi accent. It's great. Every once in a um, while, I I remember where I'm from, Detroit. Uh, <laughs> I I do think you're on the money there because Campy's a really good coach. That's a good program. And in fact, Campy's had a couple of teams that should have made the tournament and then got bounced in the league in the league bracket. Um, Green Bay's got a nice young coach. Northern Kentucky obviously just kind of surprised people and broke through. And that's a program that just went D1 recently. I mean, it was in its first or second year of tournament eligibility this past season when it made the tournament. So from a coaching perspective, yes, it is a very good thing. Um, from the league perspective for the horizon, it, it hurts to lose Valpo. It was in the league for a decade, um, and now you lose him. And now the only realistic candidates, I, I think Robert Morris will get a look. IUPUIs in the neighborhood and might have the budget. Um, I don't know who else. So the replacement for Valpo, um, you know, for that level, I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, but you're not going to get anyone in there that's going to be at the level Valpo is. Like the difference between Wichita State and Valpo is closer, in my opinion. Even though Wichita State's a great program, don't get me wrong. I actually, the reputation of Valpo and its facilities and fan and fan support and all that, it's closer than whatever I think Valpo will get to replace them in the horizon. I think that's uh, probably right. Uh, some interesting recruiting news. DePaul gets a commitment from, depending on what recruiting service you enjoy, uh, either a four-star or five-star point guard. This comes a week after they hired his high school coach. Do you have any issue with college coaches hiring people strictly to to secure a commitment from um, an elite-level prospect? Uh, let me ask you a question. How long did it take you to write your column on this the other day, if you had to guess? Mm, 90 minutes or so, a couple hours. That's actually longer than I thought because – um, for those listening to the podcast, go to the CBS Sports app on your phone or iPad or cbsports.com. Read GP's column on this. Uh, it basically it reads so fluently and consistently. It it reads as though you sat down and banged it out in 25 minutes because you you absolutely hit kind of the essence of what fans should know 
how coaches should operate, and what prospects and, and their coaches should be aware of here. Um, the bottom line is you need to be able to recruit successfully in order to have sustained employment in this business. That's the bottom line. It, you are not going to be able to overcome losing on the recruiting trail at a 75, 85% clip and be a good enough coach to overcome that on a consistent basis, okay? So with that in mind, you need to take every possible legal way to get the best players that you can, and you and you just basically laid it out. Like, DePaul absolutely should have done this. The, guy's, the kid's name is Tiger, <laughs> with a Y, <laughs> by the way. Um, you instantly recognize... So now in the, world, in the world, we have Tiger Woods, spelled accurately. Then we have Tyga, the rapper. And yes. now we have Tiger, the basketball player, T-Y-G-E-R. So we've got a lot of Tigers out there. By the way, has, I don't know how he plays with that hairstyle. Because it just looks like it would weigh him down. So it's so big, you can't miss him when you play him on the court. He's he's a solid player, by the way. Like I think he really will could impact and help DePaul. But also, as you note, it doesn't necessarily mean that DePaul is going to become a tournament team because they land a Tiger. Um, but teams should be doing this. If you have the ability to land a prospect's high school coach, and you know, with generally speaking, a high school coach, generally speaking, not always, but is considered a more legitimate bench acquisition than an AAU coach because sometimes AAU coaches are only become AAU coaches because of, of a personal relationship or a family relationship to a certain prospect from the time he's like nine years old and older. Whereas a high school coach perhaps has been in the business for different reasons for a much longer time. You see what I'm getting at? So like from a perspective wise, this might be seen as a little smarter, I guess, or, or steadier. Either way, it doesn't matter. If you can get a prospect and it helps for you to hire his coach and it's legal, there is no reason not to do it, especially when you're at the level of DePaul, which has just been, I mean, clawing to get back into national relevance forever. And with this, hey, they get some national headlines. They get their highest ranked recruit in a long time. Um, I When I sat down to write the column, I, I had a general idea of, of the point I wanted to make. I didn't just want to write a column saying – Something that I've said many, many times throughout the years, which is, of, of course, this is okay. Let's stop debating it. It's a legal way to get a player. You're in the player getting business uh, in this in this sport. You know, athletic directors can talk about APRs and graduation rates and blah blah blah. But the the truth is, um, uh, you get a job, and if you win enough, you get to keep it and make millions of dollars. And if you don't, you don't. And the best way to try to avoid losing is to get the best prospects you can get. And so if you can make a hire to secure a prospect that you otherwise might not be able to be involved with, um, I say why not do it, uh, particularly at a place like DePaul. On the other hand, uh, as you pointed out, uh, it, it doesn't guarantee anything because at the high major level, and yes, we're calling the Big East and DePaul high major, um, you know, there, there's – you, you get a certain level of recruit, but like everybody else in your league is going to have that same level of recruit as well. For instance, DePaul, let's just call this this kid a – let's call him a, a, a four-star because that's what he is at 247 Sports. Right. Okay. Well, I went and looked. In the class of 2016 and 2017 in the Big East, eight of the ten schools have enrolled multiple four-star prospects. So DePaul's not getting anything that the overwhelming majority of the other schools don't already have. Uh, it's why LSU enrolling Ben Simmons doesn't change anything at LSU. 
or Washington enrolling Markel Fultz doesn't change anything at Washington. What we found, Henry Ellenson going to Marquette, no matter how talented somebody is, and we're talking about probable back-to-back number one picks in the NBA draft, no matter how talented those guys are, they're not going to, by themselves, change anything at the high major level. It just doesn't happen. I do, I do. Perhaps LeBron James, if he played college basketball, would be the exception to this basic rule. But, but best I can tell, it doesn't matter how good you are. If you are going to a place where they don't have pieces around you in a high major league, you're not going to be able to turn it into a winner. And from that, uh, and this was sort of the point of the column, the larger point I wanted to make, where I think you could actually benefit as a coach by making a hire like this to get a player like this is at the mid-major level. Because then what you would be getting is something unlike anything else anybody else has in your league. Uh, in other words, DePaul enrolls a four-star point guard. Congratulations. I'm sure he's going to be great. Uh, he, unless you put other four stars and five stars around him, uh, he's not taking you anywhere. But if you could ever, and I don't know why more people don't do this, at a CUSA program or a Missouri Valley program where they don't enroll four-star prospects or five-star prospects, like literally nobody enrolls those. If you could make a hire there to not get Ben Simmons, but to get a couple of top 100 kids. Like if if you worked in the the 70th ranked player. That's what I mean. If you could get the 70th ranked player and the 85th ranked player, Uh, as a package deal by hiring their AAU coach and enroll them at a Missouri Valley Conference school, suddenly you got two better talents than anybody else in your league has. You're going to keep them longer than LSU is going to keep Ben Simmons because those guys aren't one-and-done candidates. I really do think if you made a hire like the hire Memphis made to get the Lawsons or LSU made to get Ben Simmons or DePaul is now made to get Tiger Campbell, if you made that a similar hire, and got not a, not a one-and-done player, but two guys ranked between 50th and, and 90th. That you could that could actually be something that, that brings a championship. You could change the game at the mid-major level by doing this kind of hire, I think, way more easily than you can change it at the high-major level. Does that make sense? I agree. Um, the real-world hurdle enters in where you got to have – you got to build a relationship uh, which is obviously, you know, that takes time and effort. Um, so you have to have that in place. And then um, you have to be able to sell those particular prospects um, to go to that kind of level program and know that they're going to get, you know, obviously significant playing time, perhaps cater them a little bit. Um, but are they willing to do that as opposed to, and let's just like, are you willing to go play at Ohio? or Illinois State, or San Francisco, and get all that, as opposed to maybe your freshman year is to be determined on playing time at the level of a Colorado, or a a Xavier, or hell, even like an Alabama. Like That's basically what you will have to decide, because if you're a top 70 player, you can play at any of the big conference schools that I just mentioned, um, but would you be more willing to have a more dominant, immediate impact, statistical impact, and because of this, and to kind of totally uh, connect us to something I wrote like three weeks ago, because I talked about this with uh, Bob McKillop, 
and I talked about it with Rick Bird. Rick Bird and I, shout out to Rick Bird, now and forever, by the way. Um, what happens is a lot of these guys that you see, like Ian Clark, and obviously Steph, who's an anomaly, but and then you had uh, CJ McCollum at Lehigh. What happened was these guys went in as freshmen, had immediate playing time, played multiple years at that level, knew that they were the guy, had scouting reports on them. I'm not talking for a year. I'm talking two, three, four years. Year after year after year, they were consistently tasked with so much responsibility that it made them more prepared. This is the opinion of all the coaches I spoke with, um, and obviously they've spent decades in the business GP. They were more prepared, and because of the nature of their dominant performance in those leagues, they got the attention of NBA scouts as opposed to being maybe the fourth best guy at Arizona or the third or, you know, the third best guy at Florida or just so to speak. And, and if you look at it, I'm not saying this will always happen, but you know, Steph and Lillard and McCollum were all lottery picks. Ian Clark is now a significant player for the Warriors and was a legit like player of the year on both ends when he was at Belmont. So it's not just like getting the guy because he has a coach that you can bring on your staff. If you can actually identify top 100 or top 150 talent and you can get them to come and play multiple years the players could look at the guys in the nba now and say okay there could be real benefit like i could actually truly enhance my draft stock if i go and i'm really good for two or three years does that make sense no it makes complete sense complete sense like if i'm dan muller at illinois state just to randomly throw out an nbc school i would seriously consider if i had an opening on my staff trying to identify an AAU coach or a high school coach who had a tight bond with multiple kids who are ranked, you know, somewhere, let's just say 50th to 125th in the country by the scouting services, that level guy. And I would, the, you know, like t- t- Tiger Campbell was going to DePaul because they hired his high school coach. Like he basically said that I would follow him anywhere. I, I love him. When I hugged him after we won the national championship, it felt real. Like th- 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 this isn't, uh, he wasn't planning on going to DePaul until this thing got done. So you want to find uh, an AAU coach or high school coach or anybody who's got that kind of connection to multiple kids. And then, and then after that, the sale's pretty easy. First off, you're just paying the high school coach. Like you're paying, I mean, like, I don't need to know where that your paycheck goes, but like, if you want to take care of so-and-so's mom, whatever, like I'd be willing to work in the gray area here too. Like, uh, first off, here's your paycheck. It's more money than you've ever made. You got to type bond with those kids, whatever you got to do, you got to do beyond that though. In a, in a strictly, uh, you know, inside the rule book way, you just say, first off, uh, you're hesitant to play in the Missouri Valley conference because you have dreams of going to the NBA. Uh, Fred VanVleet played in this league. Ron Baker played in this league. Anthony Early played in this league. You can get you Doug can, McDermott started in the league. Yes. Yeah, you can get where you're trying to go from here. Um, if you're a Conference USA coach, you just talk about Derrick Rose and Chris Douglas Roberts. Make the same point. Beyond that, you you're getting scholarships from high major programs off you know scholarship offers, and you can go there and maybe play as a freshman. Hope they don't recruit over your head when you're a sophomore. Right. Here here we can't recruit over your head. You're our best players for as long as you stay with us. So you're starting from day one. You guys are best friends. You're going to be with the coach who you love. You're going to run this league. And when you run this league, we're going to get ranked. And when we get ranked, 
you're going to get all the type of attention that you desire. All American consideration, blah, blah, blah. I think it's a pretty easy sell. For I'm not pretending you can go out and get, you know, a, a five-star Mitchell Robinson. Like what Rick Stansberry was able to do at Western Kentucky is a very unique and extreme example of what I'm talking about. Um, I'm not even I'm, like if you could do it, great. But I'm not. I'm trying to be more realistic about it. Um, forget that. Go get the guys ranked 50th to 125th um, by making a hire. And I, I, I think uh, this is the larger point I was trying to make with the column. You would get more bang for your buck as a mid-major coach who makes a hire to get two top 100 kids than you are as a high-major coach who makes a hire to get Ben Simmons. Because Ben Simmons doesn't change the game in the SEC any more than Mark Hill Fultz is a game-changer for Washington in the Pac-12. But you get two prospects, unlike anything else anybody else in your league has, in like the NBC or CUSA or the Horizon League or wherever – they can be game changers, and I don't know why more mid-major coaches don't try this. Yeah, um, I, I, I do think it just comes down to the motivation to do it and perhaps needing to see it happen a little more frequently elsewhere, um, and you got to build a relationship. But this, I'm, I'm not saying it's the start of anything because it's not necessarily the start, but there is enough there that warrants trying that um, because what it also does and some coaches think in these terms and others don't, and I'm not saying one way is better or right or wrong, but um, if you're able to do this, in addition to giving yourself a real chance at winning your league, getting to the tournament, and in, and in turn helping you get a better job also, because think about what the levels the coaches are at, it will earn you publicity. Um, and particularly when you get recruiting wins like this, oftentimes they will come outside the season, and when that happens, you are earning national headlines and national discussion. When was the last time we talked about DePaul on this podcast? There you go, right? And it's why, I don't know if it's ever happened. It's, so, it's why coaches who say, I don't care about recruiting rankings, are, are typically guys who, who can't get high, highly rated recruits. But, but also they're just wrong, fundamentally wrong, because this stuff matters. I don't know what kind of impact Tiger Campbell is going to have in the Big East, but he is creating positive DePaul conversations. And I'm sure to the extent that there are DePaul fans out there, they're excited about the past week. Um, same thing at UNLV. Like my, the producer for my radio right. show is a, is a UNLV grad. And he's like, I, I walk in his office, he's watching a Marvin Menzies press conference online. Like, he's fired up about this recruiting class. Same thing with Travis Ford at St. Louis. He's got two top 50 kids committed. People are excited about that. Um, same thing with uh, at, at Western Kentucky. They got a five-star and two four-stars getting ready to enroll. People are excited about that. And so I've always thought in college basketball, you need to be one of two things either great on the court, like have a great product, like a top 25 team, you know, set to play, or you've got to have something secured on the recruiting trail that gives reason to think the great products on the way. And right now, um, there are uh, several schools um, who, who have that, who haven't been good for a while or recently, but they've got the, the possibility of some good stuff on the way thanks to uh, high-level recruits who have either signed or, or committed. And DePaul joined that list this week, and, I, you know, yeah, that's a big deal. Like, it matters. It matters in a real and tangible way. I agree. Well. Anything else? I don't think so. Listen, man, it's great to hear your voice again. It's good to hear your voice again.
Yeah. Um, you got any show recommendations real quick here? Like television shows? Yeah, like anything that you've been watching on Netflix, anything for the people that uh, Well, in terms of shows that are in season right now, I watch Veep, which is hilarious. Yes, which has been good. Yes, I, yes. I, I watch uh, Better Call Saul, which is tremendous. That's been great. You Are you up to date? I have not watched Monday night's episode yet. Oh, my gosh. Is it great? It's really good. Okay. I'll tell you, I'm not going to spoil anything. I will say this. After last week's episode, I thought, you know what? I am so much more interested and invested in the Mike and Gus storyline now than the, than Saul, you know? Right. That is completely gone after watching Monday's episode. Okay. I had read something prior to the show saying that the – because it was sort of confusing at the end of the previous episode. Like, why are these pictures so important? What did she trick uh, Jimmy's brother into saying or admitting at the end? And I had read something somewhere that said it'll all be ra- – it'll all be – and you're not going to have to think about that for five weeks. It'll be – you'll know the deal in the next There's episode. There's almost no action and it's an – it's a tri- – I think it's – uh, I think it's like a top four, top three oh, wow. episode of the series. I might try That's to watch. Not... It. I might try to watch it this afternoon. Then I'm watching The Americans, which I've watched forever. I'm, and... I'm three episodes behind on that. I got. I'm. Gotta, I'm, I gotta cut I'm, that. I'm behind on that as well. Um, what else do I watch every week? I watch Last Call with John Oliver, or, or last week, to, this week, or whatever. What is it called? Last week tonight. Okay, yeah, last yeah. week tonight with John Oliver. I watch that every week. Um, that's about it. House of Cards got a new season coming. Do you watch House of Cards? I'm not on that. I, I bailed on that after season two. I, lo- um, I like it. I am. Uh, let's see. I don't. I've, I'm almost done watching uh, the Larry Sanders show, which I never saw the first time around. So I got a few more episodes, and then I'm going to move on to something new. I'm basically trying to decide between because uh, I I do like one show at a time, and I don't binge. So like. You know, it's it. I will watch like an episode, maybe one a night, and so I'm basically trying to decide if I'm going to go to Billions, The Leftovers, and or The Man in the High Castle. I don't. One of those three, I think, is my next one. Have you watched any of those? Um, I started The Leftovers, and I was just like, you know what, this is I. And now everybody says it's great. Like, I know, but I'm almost like I want to see if everyone says the ending sucks because if it does. I almost don't even want to start it, and this is the last season, so right. I think I'm going to still resist on that. Yeah, I think I'm going to wait, and then um, no, I haven't seen the other two. I hear I have a lot of friends who like Billions a lot. I just yeah. I've never watched it. What I'm trying to decide is if I should get caught up. I'm not caught up on Game of Thrones. If I oh should, my god, that's without a doubt that's that's that should be at the front of your list. Did, Game uh, of Thrones now partly because everyone watches it. You Game of Thrones is the only show. And Better Call Saul is really close, but I feel like I can watch it a day later and not get spoiled. Game of Thrones is the only show that I have to watch in real time. I, I can't watch it on DVR. I always watch it in real time. I think it's that good. Um, it has its flaws, but I just think it's spectacular. How deep into the show are you? I'm, I'm, I think I'm season four, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I my, think that's my it. My oldest son loves it, right? Like, loves it. And I'll be honest. Like, I know it's great. I'm not even trying to debate whether Game of Thrones is overrated or whatever. I understand it's great. I've never loved it. Like, it's... Yeah, I like, can get... I understand that. Like, when I watched um, a lot of my favorite TV series, Breaking Bad, Now Better Call Saul, um, Veep, the... Um, uh, what else? Uh, Mr. Robot when it's in season. Like when I watch those, I never felt like I was a chore to get through an episode. Like I, I'm actually enjoying watching it, and I want to watch House of Cards. I want to watch the next episode immediately if I have time. 
I don't. I never. It feels like Game of Thrones. Like I'm. It's like I'm putting in work trying to watch it. And I know that that's unique to me. No, that's because you have to totally. It's a totally different genre. You have to totally invest yourself into the just super thick plot. Um, and if you don't do that, I can totally see why that's the case. Um, Game of Thrones episodes fly by for me because I'm so I'm invested in it. But I can totally understand why because you're also. Like you're waiting for stuff with the White Walkers and, and what else is going to come there. And, and at times you can kind of be like, wait a second, like a whole season's gone by and this particular subset of characters, like, have they even left this area? Like, what have they even accomplished there? I totally get that. Um, and if you aren't like in it from the start, like if you didn't really like watch season one with like some gumption, uh, you can kind of get behind the ball. And I totally get that. I th- I still think it, it's it's really good and consistently turns out just tremendous episodes. But I totally get where you're coming from. Yeah, I want to watch. Um, I want to get caught up so that I can watch the final seasons um, with my son and like with because it's a big social media thing, you know, and just sort of be able to uh, be a part of those conversations wherever they exist. So I think I'm gonna get caught up, but uh, I won't enjoy it. I don't think. <laughs> I don't, I don't think I'll love it as much as I love watching other other television shows. All right, let's get out of here. Remember, you can subscribe it. to the Ion College Basketball Podcast uh, via iTunes. So please do that. And uh, thank you all for listening. I mean that sincerely. We're going to talk to you again next week. Till then, take care.